God. Let's thank Him right now. I thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, invite your attention to the 51st Psalm. Psalms 51. This weekend services, we want to be inviting someone to the house of God, and uh, come with great expectation of what God is going to do. Amen. I'm excited about what God's been doing. I want to see Him do more. Psalms 51, and um, there's probably no psalm that I have preached more from or that is any more quoted than this particular one. Over the years, I think that I have preached from several different parts of this or different verses that are in this passage, but in these 19 verses that are here, um, you get to look in on a man's prayer. And I want to read verse 10, and this is where we'll find our subject here tonight. Psalms 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. Everybody say clean heart. Clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Everybody say a right spirit. Sorry I don't have a fancy subject title tonight, but that's just what I want to speak on, a right spirit. I mean, knows that's important to our relationship with God, and if I'm going to make heaven, I've got to keep a right spirit. And if I'm going to be saved, I, I've got to keep a right spirit. If I'm going to continue to be a part of the body of Christ and be ministered to, and how many knows that if I'm going to be saved, I've got to have the ability to be ministered to and preached to. The only way I can is to keep a right spirit. So that's what I want to talk to you about here tonight. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? Praise God. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. This is probably uh, the most emotionally charged psalm of all 150 of them. In my opinion, I think the ones that were composed by David are probably the most uh, attractive out of this entire book. They are the most... Um, well, they are the ones that capture our attention, the most popular. But out of all of them, even the ones that David has composed, I would say Psalms 51 is the most emotionally charged. The language that is used, uh, you can hear desperation. Uh, you know, I like to read stories and read a myriad of things. I was in a bookstore not too long ago, and the owner of the bookstore said, well, why? He's trying to show me the, the bookstore, and it was new, and trying to show me around the various rooms and sections. They said, uh, what do you like to read? And I said, well, I, I probably would uh, like just about everything. I don't like that paranormal stuff. Of course, there's ungodly things that I wouldn't be interested in. And uh, I don't need to see your romance section. I'm not interested in the Harlequins or anything like that. And if you are, you need to get disinterested in them too. <laughs> Praise God. Everybody say amen. Everybody still with me? I didn't knock you off the bandwagon already, have I? But anyway, I, you know, Westerns, I, I like them. I, but there's something about certain authors that... Um, they, just the way that they they write and how that they uh, place the words on the page and the language 
how that they use the English language to describe things. It is, uh, it's amazing to me sometimes. And you can almost feel like with some writers that you're, you're there in the situation that they're writing about. You can feel the emotion in it. You can feel the intensity of this prayer. And again, this is a prayer that we're looking into, that a man is crying out to God. You can feel the desperation. You can sense the intensity of it. And I think one of the reasons why this particular psalm is moving to us because all of us in some way or another can relate to the words that David is praying to the Lord. Uh, You don't have to be guilty of David's sin to understand David's desperation because we've all needed God's mercy. We've all needed forgiveness. And if uh, the Lord tarries, we're going to continue to need His forgiveness. We've all had to repent. And I know that that word repentance sometimes has had a negative connotation. And a lot of people shy away from it. They think that that is just something that sinners do when they come into the church. But can I tell you that repentance is something that you need to be... uh, familiar with. You don't need to be ashamed to repent. You need to be ashamed not to repent. When the Lord convicts you, when the Lord deals with you, you need to be quick to repent and to ask Him to forgive you. And repentance is more than just asking God to forgive you. Repentance is making a change of heart and mind. It's turning away from sin. It's endeavoring to do everything within your ability. And we know that we need God's help along with that. But it's determining and making a decision to walk away from sin. David was a man that that really knew how to pray. He knew how to get a hold of God. He knew how to get God's attention. Amen. That's, That's a valuable thing, folks, to know how to pray, to know how to touch God. I've seen people that did not live for God consistently, but there was just something about them. Maybe they had been around a, a praying mother or father or raised around a church that, that was a praying church, and they knew how, when they got down to business, they knew how to pray. They knew how to get God's attention. They knew how to, they needed how to get a hold of God. You ever seen anybody like that, that that uh, maybe maybe there was some character flaws. Maybe they didn't have the internal structure to to faithfully live for God and do what they're supposed to do. But there was just something about them when they came uh, to church and God dealt with them. They were soft-hearted enough, yielding enough to God that they would come and they would pray and they knew how to get God's attention. There's always hope if a person knows how to pray. And, 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 and knowing how to pray doesn't mean necessarily knowing uh, the King James English and knowing how to articulate the words and being the most descriptive and knowing just how to say it. But it's really the condition of a person's heart and their honesty before God and their willingness uh, to cry out to God knowing how to touch God. How many knows that we're serving a God that is, the Scripture says that He is pitiful towards us. That doesn't mean that He's pitiful necessarily, but He is merciful towards us. That He looks at us and uh, He can't help but express mercy to us. And He is concerned for our soul. He wants our soul to be saved. And there are several things that we can learn from this prayer uh, that would help us in times of need. First of all, it was a prayer that was prayed in humility. There was humility in this prayer. If you're going to approach God, you've got to be humble before Him. You've got to be willing to express and to show humility. People that say, well, I prayed and God didn't touch me and God didn't move upon me. 
Well, the Bible said he's not far away from those that are of a broken and a contrite spirit. Those are the kind of folks that he cannot refuse, that he cannot turn away. If a man comes in his pride and his arrogance and self-assuredness and tries to approach God, more than likely it's not a prayer that's going to be heard by God. But if you can come humbly before Him, God will hear your prayer. And I'm going to just interject this. You should not pray that God would humble you. You should pray that you would be able to humble yourself before God. Now, I'm telling you, God can humble a person. Yes, He can. I've been there. I've been there when there was parents that were crying out over their babies that were sick because God was trying to get their attention. I, I've been there when crises was so, uh, was so traumatic and, and uh, the situation was so tragic when God was humbling a person. But you know what the real plan of God is? Is that we would humble ourselves before Him. Because the Bible said in James chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of God. Praise the Lord. And He will exalt you in due time. If you'll humble yourself. How, how do I humble myself? Through prayer, through submitting to His Word, through obedience to those that have the rule over you, through hearing the preaching of the Word of God, through through fasting, through through doing the things that that uh, this flesh uh, is contrary to the to the flesh, and the flesh doesn't necessarily want to do it. But we're humbling ourselves before God because if we'll do that, He will exalt us. He will bless us. He will help us. He will sustain us if we'll humble ourselves. So there was humility in this prayer. There was honesty. In this prayer, Amen. He he said, uh, "Against thee and thee only have I sinned." I, I'm not trying to blame this on anybody else. I'm not trying to place the burden of this on anybody else's shoulders. If you're going to get God's attention, you're going to have to be honest with God. You're going to have to be honest-hearted if you're going to get God's attention. And then there's that easy to detect. Passion involved in this prayer. You can hear it several times. It is stated, oh, the word, that one letter word, oh, oh, God, oh, God, several times in this text. And you can feel the, the passion in that. Now, if you're going to pray, uh, you, you can't just be detached emotionally. You cannot just be passive about it if you really you're going to get God's attention. You're going to get an answer. You're going to have to be passionate about your prayer. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to put some fervor in it. The Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent prayer still gets God's attention. It still brings results when we fervently pray. But in verse 10, and this is where I want to frame our Subject and our remarks here tonight, verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice the, the sequence here in what he's requesting of the Lord to do. Notice the priority here in this prayer. He first says, Create in me a clean heart. Before he ever asked for a renewed right spirit, he Pray for a clean heart to be created within him. Before an individual can attempt to have a good spirit, you, you first got to start with a clean heart. Your heart's got to be right before God. Because what is in your heart is going to be manifested in your attitude. It's going to come out in your spirit. You, you can camouflage it for a while, but you know what the Scripture says it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What, what's in your heart cannot be camouflaged. You can, it doesn't matter how good of an actor or an actress that you are, if, if something is in your heart, it's eventually going to make its way out. 
It's going to emerge somewhere in your life. You can hide it. You can camouflage it. You can cover it up. You can uh, uh, try to act your way through. People try to, to some way sabotage folks from knowing what they really are, the type of person they really are. The Bible also says out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. Sooner or later, somebody's going to tell off on what's really in their heart. If, if a person has envy in their heart, it's, it's going to eventually come out. They have a lust in their heart that has not been taken care of. It's, it's eventually going to manifest itself in their actions. If there, is, if there is pride in their heart, it's going to manifest itself somewhere along the way. No, no matter how they try to act so lowly and base and humble, it's eventually going to come out if it's in their heart. Attitude problems are not superficial problems, but they are rooted in a person's heart. I have a pastor friend that his church, they decided on the back of their property to build a big family life center. And uh, it was about a $2 million project. I've never seen a life center quite like it. It, it has uh, wood gym floors as nice as any you've ever seen. It had workout rooms, both men and women. It had an entertainment room for the children to play games in, and it has a, a big cafeteria area. Very, very nice. Racquetball court. I mean, just all kinds of things. Two or three million dollar deal. And uh, after they finally finished the, the complex and uh, was in it for just a little while, something began to happen that caught their attention ceiling tiles begin to fall uh, from the high ceilings in some of the areas of the building and, and they were way up there high and they begin to fall out and they walk in one morning there'd be two or three ceiling tiles laying on the floor and then uh, they started looking a little closer and they noticed that the walls were actually not just a crack a, a fracture but the sheetrock walls were, were, were coming apart at seams in different places, and you could actually stick your fingers, two-inch gaps in some place. You could stick your hand inside there. And what they discovered, it wasn't, it wasn't the fault of those that installed the ceiling tiles. It wasn't, it wasn't the fault of the sheetrockers that put the tape in the mud and installed the sheetrock. It wasn't their problem. It was a foundational problem that was causing these kind of situations. And, and uh, though, though it was a problem that was way down here that could not be seen with the physical eye, that had been built over and covered up, and uh, was uh, the, the, the foundation was actually heaving in some places and, and uh, causing this building to uh, to move and, and these type of things to happen. And it was manifesting itself. It was being revealed way up here, 20 feet in the air, when ceiling tiles were falling to the floor. and Sheetrock was splitting apart on the walls, up on the sides of the walls, 10, 15 feet off the ground. But the problem wasn't 10, 15 feet off the ground. It wasn't 20 feet in the air at the ceiling. The problem was, was feet beneath the soil and the surface, down deep. They didn't dig down far enough and take proper care and put the right amount of pilings and, and take time to dig out and get down to solid ground before they poured the foundation. And now this uh, facility that cost uh, in excess of $2 million is now... Uh, there's problems and there's all kinds of challenges with it. It was down in the footing and the foundation of that facility. When a person's attitude and spirit becomes caustic, when it becomes ugly, if I could say it that way, there's something wrong in the heart of that person. Maybe there is jealousy that has never been dealt with, never been confronted with. Uh, jealousy, the old saying is, as cruel as the grave. 
Jealousy has to be dealt with. Jealousy can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. It can seem so subtle. It can seem so innocent. It can seem so justified at times. It can seem like that, uh, you know, nobody may know about it. Nobody may be aware of it. I've hidden it pretty well. But uh, jealousy will cause people to do some pretty ruthless things. Jealousy will cause people to throw away their potential and their talents and their anointing that God has placed upon their life. You take Saul. Saul, I mean, out of all the men of Israel, he was head and shoulders, the Scripture says, above all of them. He was, he was the man. I mean, he was the one that everybody looked to. And you had a, a profile of, of courage and strength and and. Uh, the man that was just the natural-born leader, the one that looked like the leader, the one that you would want out front leading the charge, the man that would be on uh, the cover of the magazine uh, that was just the, the most obvious man to lead Israel, Saul was your man, head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. But jealousy entered into his heart, envy against uh, David, who was just a, a shepherd's boy, who was just a newcomer, just a kid, just just a young child. He was getting way too much attention. And this man that was so gifted and so talented and had it seemingly all together began to do some crazy things. He began to spend his energy trying to destroyed David instead of building up the kingdom of God. He began to throw his anointing that God had placed upon his life. Now I realize that that was not the only problem that Saul had. It started with disobedience. And when you are disobedient to God and disobedient to his word, and disobedient to his commands, there's going to be other problems that are going to surface in your life. And that is the way it happened with Saul. He was disobedient to God's word, and he would not listen to the man of God, the prophet that was sent into his life, and as a result, God stripped away his anointing, and the gifts that God had given him in the first place were taken from him. Oh, God, help me to be humble enough to, to listen when I need to listen, to obey when I need to obey, and be able to hear the voice of God as it would speak to me. I don't ever want to get too prideful or, or any of that to, to allow that I can't allow God to speak into my life through the man of God. But uh, he began to do dumb things, crazy things, things that a king, a man of his stature should have never done, throwing javelins, acting like a little child, a juvenile. Immature things for a man of his stature. Foolish things. Maybe, maybe it's unresolved issues and things that are being suppressed or hidden in the heart. Maybe it's unrepented of sin. Maybe it's a spirit of unforgiveness. That is why David prayed in the sequence that he did, create in me. A clean heart. Everybody say create. Come on, let's say it again. Create in me a clean heart. The word create is the same one that is used in the book of Genesis. It's of the same derivative. It has the same meaning. It has the same definition. Out of nothing. Basically, you've got to start over God in me. I'm not wanting to cover up. I'm not wanting to act like nothing's wrong. I'm not wanting just to go on from here. I'm wanting you to completely do something new in me. Take this old nature out of me. Take these old desires out of me. Take this old man out of me and, and create in me new desires and a new love for you and a new uh, willingness to please you. The reason why some folks deal with the same issues and sins and 
struggle with the same problem year after year, decade after decade, 25 years down the road. They're still dealing with the same thing, still coming to church and fighting the same struggles it's because a clean heart was never been, has never been allowed to be created within them. You can't, you can't just cover it up. You can't just camouflage it. You've got to allow God to do a creative work in you. The prophet in the Old Testament said, I'm going to take that stony heart and I'm going to take, not, I'm not going to do something with it. I'm going to put a new heart in you, a heart of flesh, a heart that can be dealt with, a heart that can be melted by the presence of God, a heart that can be convicted, a, a heart that can be stirred, a heart that can be moved. Does anybody get what I'm talking about here tonight? I, I don't want to just remain this. Uh, you know, some people, they, they want enough of God to change a little bit, but but keep the same character and keep the same old old manner of living and the, the same old habitual ways of doing things. No, 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 no. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to have a new heart, a, a, a new creative work done in you. If you want a clean heart, it's going to have to be a heart that is created by God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. I can't, I can't just go on and uh, say, well, you know, I've, got this tendency and I got this problem and I got this leaning if you'll just strengthen and fortify me and keep me between the ditches God no I need you to create in me a clean heart Paul said in my flesh there is no good thing you got to start all over God not some good things, not some redeeming values, no good thing. Not just a few things, no good thing. And after the heart issues are resolved, and that's where it always starts, that was the sequence of David's prayer. He moved to the next phase of this prayer, and he said, Renew a right spirit within me. Let me underscore the importance let me just talk about for the next little while a right spirit. Proverbs 18 and 14 said, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? We've often heard that latter part of the verse quoted, A wounded spirit, who can bear? And we, we, we know what it is to be around folks that have had a wounded spirit and how that they can be almost like a dog that has, has no trust, has no, has no willingness to, to be open to any help or any intervention because it's been beaten or mistreated, a wounded spirit. But the spirit, I think that's a powerful powerful verse, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. No matter what happens to you is what that verse is saying. If you can keep a right spirit, you're going to make it through it. If you can keep a right spirit, you'll come out ahead. If you can keep a right spirit, and, and spirit, when I use the word spirit, I, I could talk about it interchangeably with your attitude because they're closely connected if you can keep a right spirit and attitude, you can come out and everything's going to be all right. It'll sustain you. Because if you can keep a right spirit, you can get help. You can be preached to. But if your spirit is wounded, you become suspect of everybody. When they say they're praying for you, you'll think, yeah, I bet you're praying for me. You ever notice anybody that's got a, got a wounded spirit? They're critical and they're, and they're, they're very apprehensive of everybody. They judge and try to be suspect of everybody's motives. Amen. You, you just simply say, I'm praying for you, and you feel defenses come up, and you feel, uh, you feel a, a wall that is there. You feel a resistance that is there. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they don't really believe it. You say, I want to help you. They're like, what, what is it that you're wanting? 
What is it? A wounded spirit. But if you can keep your spirit right, when somebody reaches out to help you, you'll, you'll not see them as somebody to be suspect of. You'll see them as a brother and a sister that is really praying for you, that is really in this thing with you to help you. You don't see the preacher as an enemy that's just walking your log every time he gets a chance or just trying to correct you at every opportunity. You start seeing the Word of God as a friend to you. You start seeing preaching as a help to you. You start seeing teaching, just like tonight, as a strength to your spirit so that you can go on in this Christian walk and make heaven your home. That's everybody's goal, I hope, tonight. Hallelujah. It'll sustain you in some difficult, difficult, difficult times. You know, difficult times and and life challenges and situations. They either it's like a crossroads. You you either get closer to God or you get further away from God. He can either draw you near and you'll trust Him more and you believe in Him more and you lean on Him more, or you start start drifting away from God. And, Leaning on your own understanding. No matter what you face in life, you can keep a right spirit. It will sustain you and you'll keep your footing. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. It may look like that if you keep a right spirit, it's not going to pay off. God's never going to vindicate me. God's never going to bring me out. I mean, look what they have done. Look what they're getting by with. Look what has happened. Keep a right spirit. Be patient. Trust God. When you would like to retaliate, when you would like to Speak up for yourself, but don't be impatient. The Bible does say that the end is the Lord's. The Bible does tell us that the end of the thing is better than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud. That person that's always got to take up and protect their ego and protect themselves and always vindicate themselves and retaliate at every injustice against them. God can't help them. He said, vengeance is mine. Why don't you let me? To maintain a right spirit, it requires that we we do three things that I want to refer to here tonight. Always, first of all, and I want you to make a mental note, if not a, a note in your Bible or a note that you write down. You ought to write this on your mirror. To maintain a right spirit, it requires that you do three things. First of all, always remember where God brought you from. Always remember where God brought you from. Nobody here pulled up here and got here by your own ability, your own skill, your own giftings, your own talent. As we like to say, Nobody pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. But we're all here because of the mercies of God. Nobody wrote more about mercy than David did. He talked about everlasting mercy. He talked about mercy that endureth forever. He talked about that would be a reason to praise the Lord. He said, praise ye the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. How many times throughout the book of Psalms do we see those words written over and over again, His mercy endureth forever. Nobody talked more about the mercies of God than David did. When you remember where God brought you from, it keeps you humble. It keeps you from getting lifted up. Never did he ever forget that he was a shepherd boy, that the Lord found and anointed and blessed and every victory that he had in life. When it came to the lion and the bear and the and the giant and the many victories over the Philistines and other enemies that he was able to subdue. He understood that every victory, God is the one that helped me to achieve it. It wasn't 
my skill or my ability. It wasn't anything that I was able to do on my own or by myself. It was because of God's goodness and mercy to me. And I don't ever want to forget where he brought me from. People that are in danger of going back is people that forget the pit from which they were dug, as the Scripture says. People that are in danger of backsliding is people that forget how merciful God was to them and where He brought them from and how miserable sin was and how that they felt so alone and how that they felt so filthy and dirty and scarred and their lives completely uh, confused and twisted because of sin. But mercy came in and mercy uh, reached to them and God's grace it has continued to sustain them, and God was good enough and gracious enough to give us an opportunity to know Him. If you want to keep a right spirit, you've got to always remember. I don't want to get too judgmental because I remember what I used to be. I don't ever want to get too haughty, lifted up. Because I remember where he brought me from. It didn't matter if you was even raised in church and got the Holy Ghost and never really went out into the world. To think that God was merciful enough to save you from all of that. That you never had to go out there and experience the filth and the corruption of sin. To think that God gave you an opportunity like so few to be raised in an atmosphere of a godly home, godly influences, hear the truth at a young age, have good teaching and sound doctrine, people that would pray for you, folks that would. I, I don't know how you feel about it, folks, but, but I walk these aisles quite regularly, and I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord for pastor, pastors in my life as I was growing up that preached the truth to me. I, I thank the Lord for every Sunday school teacher that taught me. They got up early on Sunday morning, made her way to church, made his way to church and taught me the Word of God and was so faithful to do it. It was patient with me when I was just a snotty-nosed little brat. I thank the Lord for men in the church that were good role models. I thank the Lord. I, I do. I thank the Lord often for that. And on the flip side of that, those of us that are in that place now of being an example, we ought to take that role very seriously. God, I don't want to let you down because I got too many people watching. I got too many people looking. I got too many folks that are hanging on me and and I'm going to tell you, everybody in this place, there's a role that you play in the life of somebody, whether it's your own children, whether it's other children in the church, whether it's, that's why I've got to be careful to keep a right spirit. I, I can't afford a display of anger. I can't afford to lose my cool. I can't afford to just speak my mind. I, I can't afford to just let go. And I've got to stay under the influence of the Holy Ghost. I've got to keep a right spirit and a right attitude before God. Amen? I, that's, that's why I need to be faithful. I, I can't afford the luxury of saying, you know what, I really don't have a reason, but tonight I just don't think I'm going to church. I can't afford to do that because there's people that are looking. There's people that are watching. I've got to dear friend of ours that he's an assistant pastor to church and he, he has a grandson now and he said he said uh, little grandson just really kind of learning to talk and he has a baby sister and the baby sister was sick and the mother and the little girl was going to go um, Sunday night and they was going to let the husband and the little boy go Sunday morning and they was going to alternate and uh little boy's name's Jack. You don't hear too many little boys nowadays named Jack, but I think his name's really Jackson, but they call him Jack. And he, he said, 
to his daddy, he said, Mommy, Mama not going to church? He said, Jenna not going to church? That's his little sister. Jenna not going to church? He said, no, she, she said, he got real concerned. He got looking. And I mean, he was just right on the verge of busting out in tears. He said, well, Jenna needs to go to church. We're talking about an infant now. I mean, just a little baby. He said, Jenna needs to go to church, Daddy. I mean, she's uh, she needs God. I'm going to tell you what. We got to keep that before those children where they, where they we don't want to let them down. We don't want to crush, snuff out that spirit in them that wants to be faithful to God, wants to live. And, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there's not times when we go on vacation. There's not times we do a thing. But I'm talking about just in our day-to-day life. We got to be careful that we don't disappoint. Bible said it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown to the depths of the sea than to disappoint and offend a little child and be a stumbling block to a little child. That's how serious this is. So I got to be conscientious. I got to be careful in my walk. How many knows that the Christian walk is a walk that is a careful walk? Amen. I got to be conscientious. I got to let my God-given conscience guide me. The Spirit of the Lord direct me. But, But it's so important that I remember God's mercy. In my dealings with other people, I got to remember God's mercy. That'll help me to be able to forgive them. That'll help me to be a little bit more open to give them a chance if I remember how merciful God has been to me. With the same judgment that you meet, that's what you're going to be judged with by that same measure, the Bible says. Is that right? Oh, I don't want to be just a scorner of everybody and everything and down on everybody and everything. I want to somehow say, God, you've been merciful to me, and maybe they'll, if I keep praying for them and believing and trying to help them, then they may come around. Praise God. Elderly preacher that is a friend of mine hired some young men that were aspiring preachers in the church to move some furniture. He went to a a state auction, got some furniture, and he was going to have it delivered to his house, but he didn't have a truck, so he got these young fellas to help him with it, and he told them, he said, now this is real. I got a good deal on this furniture, but it's very nice. It's expensive furniture. He said, I want you to make sure you tie it down real good, secure it real good, you drive slow, and you pat it where it don't get any scratches on it. And those young fellas piled it up in the back of the truck, headed down the interstate, would you know it, driving way too fast. And all of a sudden, big dining room table with chairs connected to it all blew out in the middle of the interstate. Splinters. I don't know if he even stopped and cleared it off. It just it so disappointed them. And so now they had to come and face the old elder, and they were scared what his response was going to be. And they was all dragging and hanging their head and came up to him and told him what had happened. He just looked at him and said, well, it's done. I can't get it back. He said, those kind of things sometimes happen. He said, you know, I wanted to tell them, but they probably wasn't ever going to amount to nothing. They probably wasn't ever going to be anointed as preachers. Wasn't going to be able to lead a Bible study group. Wasn't going to do nothing for God. If they couldn't even move a table, they sure couldn't do nothing for God. He said, that's what I wanted to tell them. He said, but I just didn't say anything. I just said, those things happen. He said, almost 20 years later, one of those young men came up to him. He said, I done forgot about it. I didn't remember it. He came up to me. He said, I didn't remember the individuals involved. I certainly remembered losing that table. But I didn't remember the men. He came up to me and he said, you, you remember me, brother? He said, no, I don't, I don't believe I do. He said, I was that one that let your furniture get destroyed out in the middle of the interstate. He said, oh, yeah, I believe I remember that. He said, uh, 
He said, you did something those many years ago that day when we came to you and told you that has helped me every day of my life as a pastor. He said, the way you handled that situation, he said, I've remembered that every time I've handled the people of God when they've had some mistakes and errors in their life. I'm going to tell you, you don't know the impact of responding right, keeping a right spirit, the impact that it's going to make, the witness that it's going to be. You can knock a thousand doors. You can teach a thousand Bible studies. You could preach a thousand sermons and negate it all just by a wrong response. And by a right response, you could be more of a witness than in any way that you could do in any other demonstrative manner because all of us really are, are ministers. All of us really, in one sense or of the word, we're all preaching the gospel. Praise the Lord. You've got to remember where God brought you from, and then, then I think it's important to keep a right spirit. You've got to remember where you're going. Remember your reward. Hey, folks, we're going to heaven someday. We're going to heaven. We don't hear enough about it. We don't sing as much as we used to about it. But I'm telling you, we're going to escape this world one day. And there's no revenge. There's no attitude. There's no spirit of unforgiveness, unforgiveness. There's no... There's no hurt, there's no wound, there's no offense, there's nothing anybody's done to me that is worth me missing going to heaven, that is worth me being lost. Paul said it this way, he said, all these things may happen to me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, all these things may happen to me. Uh, and he went through a long list of things. He said, but nothing is going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I've determined that, not things uh, present, not, not things to come. He said, oh, not anything is going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I, I'm just going to keep my spirit right through it all because there's nothing worth me being lost over. Oh, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord? I know I've, I've told this story before, but let me just tell it again. I feel like it fits here. Sister Doretha Jones, who many of you know, Brother Brian Jones, who was here last week or whenever it was we had the anniversary service, his wife, they had a little boy that contracted cancer just a couple of years old, I think, when it all started. And I think he was... Just, I don't remember exactly his age when he passed away. He wasn't very old at all. He was just a little boy. It was a tragic ordeal that they went through. It felt like things got better, and then it came back with a vengeance. And, and he passed away. And at his funeral in Houston, she walked up to his casket. And this is a very touching story. And when I, when I think about it, just just really moves me. She uh, walked up. She was the last one to come, come up there. She looked down at her little child that she had given birth to and over the last few years had nurtured and cared for through this sickness and was hoping and praying and having faith. God didn't, didn't choose to heal Dylan. And she looked down in that casket, tears in her eyes. She said, son, I, I want you to know, I don't know if you can even hear me, but I want to I say this. I guess she was mostly saying it for herself. She said, I want you to understand there's nothing going to keep me from seeing you again. Nothing. No offense, no hurt nothing that anybody does to me, nothing that comes against me in life, no temptation, nothing 
is going to keep me from going to heaven to see you again. I've got a good reason. I've got another reason to go there, and that's to see you and be reunited with you again. I think. You've got to remember, if you're going to keep a right spirit, you've got to remember where you're going. Hey, I, I, you know, these things are all kind of temporal. Matter of fact, this is all just a rehearsal for, for eternity. All of this stuff that we think are so, so big, such a big deal and so consequential, there's nothing more consequential than, than eternity and how, how this life is going to affect eternity and how my responses to things and how I handle things. Man, my attitude. Oh, we got to keep our attitude right. We got to keep our spirit right. Does anybody feel what I feel here? I want to keep my spirit right. I was praying here today. I said, God, I know I'm going to preach to these good people about this, and you've laid this on my heart. I felt this scripture Monday during prayer and just kept building. And I've really been praying, God, I don't want, I got sermons. I. I got sermons in this Bible right now I haven't preached that are already prepared, that are just here. I've got some in this iPad that I've typed up. That, but I don't want to just preach a sermon. I want, to, I want the mind of God for these services. I want, I, want you to, I want you to receive what you need at that moment because it's critical, folks, that we, we be in the will of God. It's critical that the Word of God be able to get a hold of us and touch us and you need to have a hunger in your heart for the Word of God to be affected by it, to be stirred by it, and be changed by it, and be moved by it. But God, i got to keep a right spirit. Paul said, lest I preach to others that I would be a castaway. So it doesn't matter how long I've been walking with God. It doesn't matter what my position or how much God has blessed me. I gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. No matter how much God's using the pay, how many victories you got, how many accomplishments spiritually you have, how many trophies you got spiritually. Devil's never gonna give up. So you gotta keep a right spirit. And that's the biggest challenge, folks, is keeping a right spirit. It really is. And then you've got to remember others. You've got to remember where he brought you from. You've got to remember where you're going. And you've got to remember others. He said, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Through ministering to others, your virtue is going to be restored. If you're going to keep a right spirit, if you're going to get what you need from God, you're going to have to get outside of yourself. Self-centered Christians, selfish people will never, never, ever. Only people, people that are only takers and never givers. I'm talking about in every way, emotionally, in prayer. Oh, they want people to pray for them, but they don't ever offer to pray for nobody else. They want people to encourage them, but they're never an encourager to nobody else. You can spot them. You pastor a while. You can, you, you know. You, you're around church for a while. You can see them. It's the folks that come to the altar, and they, you never see them pray for anybody else. It's just all about me all the time. It's all about me. Those are the people that struggle the most. Those are the people that have the hardest and most difficult time living for God. It's because when the only way your virtue can be restored in some, in some ways is through ministering to others. Because life is a flow. Life is a river. And it's got to flow through you. You try to dam it up. You try to hold it back. You try to build perimeters around it. And it will grow stagnant and stale and putrid on you. But you allow there to be a flow and you'll continue to get what you need and you'll continue to be able to be a blessing to somebody else. That's why we were talking the other night about people in the church that need, everybody's involved in evangelism and everybody can be a part of evangelism and one of the aspects of it is that everybody can build a relationship with someone. Everybody can be 
that one that is an encourager to somebody. This ought to be the most encouraging place that anybody walks into in this city. When they walk in this place, they ought to feel automatically there's an updraft here. There's an encour- This should not be a place where people feel that they're being beat down. Amen? Praise God. So, it's important that we minister to others. And by doing so, by doing so, we're obtaining help and mercy and strength from God ourselves. I want to read you Scripture, Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also, thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. You know what the law of Christ is? And so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Just don't ever get too lifted up that we can't reach to help somebody. Lift somebody. Encourage somebody. Would you stand with me tonight and raise your hands to the Lord and say, God, help me. Help me to remember where you brought me from. Help me to remember where I'm going. And help me to remember and not be selfish, but help me to remember others that are around me. Praise God. Let's let's just take a moment here and talk to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you this little story, and I'm going to open these altars for those that would like to have an opportunity to pray, but musicians, would you come, please? A lady from a village in, in a remote area, Africa was invited by the missionary or someone connected to come to church. And when she did, just in one night, she received the Holy Ghost. She repented. She received the Holy Ghost. And they talked to her about baptism. She was baptized in Jesus' name. She went home. And her husband, when she told him what had happened, he told her, threatened her. He said, if you go back, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you and take your life. And she obeyed for a, a span of time, maybe a few services. She said, I'd rather die as to not ever go back and not ever be able to be strengthened in my faith and receive what I need from God and be saved. I'd rather die. And so in her courageousness, she went back to church. And when she got home that night, just he was meeting her in the driveway. When she came up the driveway, uh, in those areas they'd walk, many of them to church. And she came home that evening. He was waiting in the driveway. And he, uh, he beat her until he thought that she was dead. He walked, walked away, walked back into the house, and then he went back to check and see. And when he walked back to where she was, she had pulled herself underneath some bushes there and was just lying there. But she was conscious. And he said to her when he realized that she was still alive, he said, what can your Jesus do for you now? What can your Jesus do for you now? And she looked back up at him. And she said something that struck a chord in his heart, convicted him so that he he went to her church and he got what she got. He was converted. She looked back at him and said, He can forgive you of what you've done to me. He can forgive you. You talk about a right spirit. 
Father, forgive me, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want a right spirit. I want God. I realize he's going to have to keep it. I'm going to have to keep it renewed. It's something that life can mar if we don't keep it protected and renewed. It's something that life can can drain us of if we don't keep it protected and renewed. But I wonder if there's somebody that would like to come to this altar. I'd like to come down here to this place of prayer. And I want you to I want you to pray with me. Maybe I'm the only one that needs to needs to pray tonight, but I, I really feel that we could come down to this altar just for a few moments and say, God, I want you to help me. I want you to help me to have a right spirit.